0: service is titled My Cup Overflows. The phrase My Cup Overflows is a translation of the Hebrew phrase Kosi Revaya from the 23rd Psalm. Our spiritual cup often overflows with joy, with sorrow, with wonder, with worry. What does it mean to live life from a place of abundance and overflowing rather than scarcity and emptiness? Our opening words were written by Gary Kowalski. In this quiet hour may our spirits be renewed. In this gathering of friends, may we be ready to extend ourselves to those in need and with trust to receive the hand that is offered. In this community of ideals, may we remember the principles that guide us and reflect upon those things that give meaning to our lives, renewing our dedication to serve the highest that we know. In this time of worship, may our minds be open to new truth and our hearts be receptive to love as we give thanks for this life we are blessed to share. Please join me in saying the words to light our chalice. As we light this flame, we give thanks for friends and loved ones. As the room glows with warmth and kindness, we extend our circle ever wider to welcome those who want to come in, and we know love.
1: When I was in seminary, our coursework, our required coursework, included two year-long courses on the Bible. One on the Hebrew Bible or Tanakh, also known to many Christians as the Old Testament, and the other on the Christian scriptures or New Testament. Out of necessity, we had to cover a lot of territory in a very short time, which required reading these amazingly rich, and complex ancient texts much, much more quickly than is desirable. So most of the time I was in reading for comprehension mode rather than reading for appreciation. And so it was that I found myself in the situation of Having to read the entirety of the book of Psalms, all 51 chapters, in one weekend. It was a ridiculous and impossible task. The Psalms are exquisite examples of ancient Hebrew poetry. Poetry rich with simile and metaphor with jarring juxtapositions and soothing cadences. To fully appreciate the Psalms would take a lifetime of studying and not one weekend of speed reading. Poetry in general defies any kind of quick reading and easy analysis because poetry, particularly this is true of good poetry, forces us to think and to experience things differently. As the philosopher Gaston Bachelard writes, poetry is a commitment of the soul. Forces are manifested in poems that do not pass through the circuits of knowledge. The Psalms are just such a set of poems, poems that are written to be appreciated not through the circuits of knowledge, but through a deeper and broader wisdom-based circuit of understanding, which, of course, made the task of reading and appreciating the Psalms in one weekend truly an absurd task. Another important thing to understand about the Psalms is that they were not written just to be read, but to be sung The Psalms were written as hymns of praise, important components of ancient Jewish liturgies. They were the original praise music, if you will, though they employed harp and timbrel rather than bass guitar and drum set. And there are notes to the director of music scattered through the text of the Psalms. Biblical scholar Stephen Mitchell writes this about the psalms. The psalmists, in the ardor of their praise, enter the Sabbath mind and stand at the center of creation saying, Behold, it is very good. This is the poet's essential role, as Rilke wrote in a late poem, When the public wonders, but all the violence and horror in the world, how can you accept it? Rilke's response is simply, I praise. So what I ended up doing in seminary, faced with this impossible task of reading all the Psalms in a single weekend, was reading until I came to a phrase that struck me for some reason or another, a phrase that reached out and grabbed my attention for reasons that I couldn't necessarily explain but wanted to explore. And then I would do a bit of deep drilling into the phrase, exploring the original Hebrew, looking at different translations and interpretations and perhaps most importantly, just letting the phrase roll around in my consciousness for a while and see where it led me. One such phrase for me came from the 23rd Psalm, perhaps the most famous and well-known of all the psalms. It is recited at funerals and memorial services and other occasions so often that it is even more challenging than most psalms to hear it as if for the first time. Psalm 23 in the New Revised Standard Version reads as follows The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the darkest valley, As Rabbi Harold Kushner says of this psalm, in a mere 57 words of Hebrew, just about twice that number in English translation, the author of the 23rd psalm gives us an entire theology, a more practical theology than we can find in many books. The psalm does not offer us the pious hope that if we are good people, life will be easy, as some religious texts do, Kushner says. The author of the psalm has enemies. He has known failure. He has lost people he loved. In the process, he has learned that life is not easy. Life is a challenge, and he has grown stronger as he met the challenges of life. He is a better person, a wiser, stronger person than he would have been had life not challenged him to grow. And the phrase that stood out for me when I read this psalm in seminary was, my cup overflows. In my exploration of this phrase, I came across a chant written by Shefa Gold, a reconstructionist rabbi, who has popularized Hebrew chant not just for Jews, but for anyone interested in this spiritual practice. And we'll be singing her Kosi Ravaya chant a little later. When I first discovered it, chanting this phrase enabled me to get to that deeper place that bypassed or went beyond the usual circuits of knowledge. In the context of Psalm 23, the phrase, my cup overflows, is an expression of abundance and gratitude. To experience life as an overflowing cup is a gift, even when it might sometimes feel overwhelming. Harold Kushner, again, writing about this phrase, said, Gratitude is the fundamental religious emotion. It is where religion begins in the human heart. Gratitude, the awareness that life has given you a wonderful bounty, is an emotion of which all people should be capable, and the image of one's cup being full to overflowing is an image of gratitude. Gratitude is a way of looking at the world that does not change the facts of your life, but has the power to make your life better nonetheless. I've been fascinated my entire life with people who are able to cultivate and practice gratitude even when they have experienced truly awful things. People who are able to see something to be grateful for, even when their cup is overflowing, not necessarily with blessings, but with immense challenges. As a recovering alcoholic, I remember going to AA meetings in the early days of my sobriety and hearing these old guys with... 30 or 40 years of being sober talking about being grateful alcoholics and I thought that they were out of their minds. How could anyone possibly be grateful for this curse, this struggle, this pain? But now after years... Of sometimes brutally honest self examination, years of hard work, years of learning to be okay with being imperfect, I can honestly say that I myself am a grateful alcoholic. And part of that gratitude has to do with having a deeper understanding of what it means to have an overflowing cup. Specifically, the realization that to fully experience an abundance of joy and blessings, one must also fully experience sorrows and challenges. For 20 years, I had tried to numb myself to the parts of life and the parts of myself that I did not want to face. I tried to avoid difficult emotions and challenging aspects of my life through drinking. And to some extent, my drinking did numb me from experiencing difficult things, but it also numbed me from fully experiencing love and joy as well. While my physical cup may have been overflowing with drink, my spiritual cup was almost completely empty. When I became sober, I began to learn that I cannot selectively anesthetize myself to only certain portions of life. I cannot fully experience joy unless I also fully experience sadness. I cannot fully experience love unless I also fully experience fear and loneliness. Another thing I learned through sobriety is that while I may not be able to control many of the circumstances of my life, I do have choices in how I respond to those circumstances. And one of the choices always available is choosing to be grateful, which again relates to the 23rd Psalm. Once more, quoting Harold Kushner, the Psalm can teach us this valuable lesson. Most of the time, we cannot control what happens to us. But we can always control how we respond to what happens to us. If we cannot choose to be lucky, to be talented, to be loved, we can choose to be grateful, to be content with who we are and what we have, and to act accordingly. Last year, I celebrated 25 years of sobriety and decided to do something out of character for me, which was to get a tattoo to mark the occasion. (laughs) My first and so far only Tattoo. I asked my daughter if that made me cool, and she assured me that no. <laughs> it did not. Perhaps unsurprisingly, I decided for my tattoo to go with the phrase, my cup overflows. It took over a year of planning, but last month I ended up with this tattoo that winds around from my wrist across my forearm almost to my elbow with the Hebrew lettering. And I have a two-dimensional image of it on the screen. It was designed for me by artist and Hebrew calligrapher Gabriel Wolfe. He described it this way, the tattoo forms a band around the forearm. The band is not closed but rather open similar to one round of a broad spiral. So on the inside of the forearm, only a single line is visible. That line is smooth and flowingly intertwined. On the outside of the arm, the line overlaps a bit with itself. That part is rough and not cleaned up. Why the duality of roughness and smooth parts in one line? Because both parts, the smooth and the rough, form parts of the same life. And why an open band? To me, the finiteness of life is a huge part of what makes its colors really pop, what makes it worth living. And why an armband? Because if the work wraps around the forearm, the rough parts and the smooth parts aren't simultaneously visible. And yet, they are there no matter what part we're looking at. The smooth is just around the corner if we look at the rough and vice versa. For the rest of my life, when I look at my left forearm, I will see not just a celebration of 25 years of sobriety, but also a reminder to cultivate gratitude to remember that my cup overflows, both in joy and in sorrow, rough and smooth, and to remember I have a choice about how to respond to all the circumstances, emotions, and experiences of my life. I am not suggesting that everyone should run out and get a tattoo like mine. In fact, I know that tattoos just aren't for everyone. But I do hope and pray that each of us might find ways to remind ourselves to choose gratitude, to choose patient imperfection, to choose to truly live as our cup overflows both in joy and in sorrow. May it be so. Amen.
0: Please join me in saying the words to extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again.
1: We'll close with these words from Gary Kowalski. Go in peace, speak the truth, give thanks each day. Respect the earth and her creatures, for they are alive like you. Care for your body, it is a wondrous gift. Live simply, be of service. Be guided by your faith and not your fear. Go lightly on your path. Walk in a sacred manner. Go in peace, giving thanks always.